to our second episode of uh, the Stormy Water Sessions over 2021 and I think something like the ninth episode in total and for those of you uh, on uh, YouTube um, rather than listening on the podcast um, they've only uh, seen my dad's last week and not me because <laughs> um, it turns out if you put high self view on um, it doesn't record um, your own image <laughs> um, so hopefully you can see me this week um, and uh, um, so I'm Ben Roberts, for those of you who uh, might not be familiar with me, and that's Dave Roberts, um, either above me or next to me, depending on where um, the uh, thing puts puts our images in the end, and I'll let him introduce himself. Yep, I'm Dave Roberts, I live in Eastbourne, I'm pastor of a church there called The Gather Collective. Um, I like football, I support Charlton Athletic. Uh, I love reading books. That's about, about it for me. Okay, so usually um, we have a, a general theme for our episodes each um, week, something to um, sort of jump off from. Um, and uh, and this week um, I uh, was drawing a bit of a blank myself because it was like, well, you know, What's the theme? You know, it's just it's just all there all the time at the moment with the virus. So there wasn't a, a particular um, thing where I could alight at it. Um, but I was talking to my dad um, yesterday and saying, you know, what should we what should we do? Um, you know, rather than just talk about you know how bad everything is. Um, and uh, um, he came up with something that, that um, sort of uses. Um, well, it goes via Bob Dylan's uh, uh, sort of God era of albums in the in the late 70s and 80s. So I'll let Dave explain that um, a little bit. Uh, many of you know that around about 1978, Dylan uh, issued an album called Slow Train Coming, which was part of a trio, maybe three or four albums, where he very much reflected on uh, the faith that he was exploring at the time. But Slow Train was beautifully produced and many look back on it as one of his, you know, uh, most creative moments, even if they're not feeling entirely comfortable with his lyrical direction. And uh, he had a couple of songs on there that were very striking. One was When You're Going to Wake Up and Strengthen the Things That Remain, uh, which was a, a scathing uh, indictment of some of the value system that was moving America at that time, uh, not in a direction he felt was very helpful. But one of the, the songs that had the greatest resonance uh, outside of his normal, you know, uh, folk rock uh, fans was uh, Surf Somebody. And um, he, he compares the great and the small, the humble and the high. And he basically says, whoever you are, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And and so for us, in the middle of the pandemic, um, in the middle of the situation that took place in uh, America last week, that deeply divisive event uh, and the violence that came out of it, the questions that people will be asking themselves is, why is this happening? What What has happened in the world? And when you step back from that, it ultimately is people's values systems that are bringing about the outcomes 
the good outcomes or the bad outcomes, the uh, helping your neighbor who can't get to the shop outcome or the I'm going to hoard things, I'm going to buy more guns or whatever uh, it is. So I thought it might be useful to think about how Dylan's idea that, you know, you've got to serve somebody speaks to whether we can be steady in the storm or whether we're buffeted by uh, the storm. So, um, so that's where we're thinking of going. Let me give you an example. Um, Dylan kind of refers to uh, the, the lure of money in the song. And uh, I was watching a Netflix documentary the other day uh, about uh, an idea that's uh, around in culture to do with minimalism. Um, the popular end of it is, you know, people decluttering. Um, uh, the other end, there is a kind of philosophical choice to say, I really don't need this much stuff and I'm going to try and discipline myself to live all right but not live with all of this accumulation, this commercial, uh, you know, buying of commodities all the time. And they interviewed one guy and uh, he had a corner office. He was earning quite a good amount of money for that time. Um, he was effective. People liked him. So he was called in and said, you're a good guy. We want to promote you. I want to make you a partner. And, uh, he went back to his office and he began to think about it and he just started weeping because he felt and you think oh oh it, it was kind of good crying because he'd got promoted and he was going to be wealthy <laughs> but as the interview progresses he says wasn't good crying at all i was really upset because i'd kind of got there on a wing and a prayer and hard work but it was such hard work and I knew that if I got the promotion and took money I would be locked into a as he described it a kind of 12 to 14 hour day cycle uh, where I had plenty of money but I had no life and no joy or anything and so he decided that day that he wasn't going to serve to use the popular term mammon he was going to make another choice and so for us in the everydayness of life, we're often making choices that will unfold something uh, throughout the pattern of the rest of our existence. And so as we, we look at this situation in America at the moment, and I'm sure in Britain as well, there are uh, situations where they've got virus left over and they give it to other ill people that don't quite fit into the criteria. You mean vaccine? Yeah. Uh, vaccine, sorry. Thank you. And, uh, but in some cases, they're just giving it to anybody. Uh, you know, the, the trustees, wife and family, you know, the senior doctors, extended family, you know. And there are people saying, I've got to get this. I've got to get this. I don't want to wait until May or June or whatever. And they're serving their own ends, not the greater good of the community. And humanly, it's, it's a little bit understandable, but the question for us as we look at what's happening all around us in the world is, who are we serving? 
And what difference does it make that we're followers of Jesus? What do you think, Ben? I mean, I think there's, uh, I wasn't expecting your question. I was trying to remember something else that I wanted to mention later on. But, um, but I think there's, there's some people, um, the first thing that came into my mind as you actually said that, some people where you can really tell that they're serving somebody different. There's somebody um, that um, used to be part of the church that I grew up in that you were in as well. Yeah. He was the leader of that church and his, his, you know, you could, you could just, and there's people around the town around Eastbourne who say, Oh yeah, that guy. And, and they're not Christians, but they'll be like, there's, there's something different about him. And they're, and they're like, pagans or something and they, they like yeah, yeah. you know they do weird, weird drumming stuff and all sorts of stuff like that um, and yeah, yeah. don't watch this bit um yeah. but um but they'll say oh yeah that you know i'm not going to say his name but um so and, and and i think it's because it's so obvious that he he doesn't sort of conform to the patterns of this yeah. world you know he does he does things so differently um that that for them it's like well what you know what is going on here like yeah this is yeah. this is quite profound yeah um, it's think, interesting that no, sorry go ahead no no I, I, i'm not sure where i was going to go so you you move on while while i process last week we uh we read that passage uh from romans um uh where it talks about how we're going to behave towards each other and uh, it actually says something about feeding your enemies. And uh, I was reading another one, and it's almost like these little poems that are scattered throughout the New Testament where they kind of say, you know, love your neighbour, bless those who despitefully use you. Uh, this little, uh, almost like uh, pissy little saying, it's like a little yeah. song. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. helped me remember the other thing that I wanted to say, which... Which I think you you touched upon in in your um, sort of little monologue that you know sometimes serving God or or not appearing to kind of conform to uh, to want to make make loads of money or or whatever um, can seem unfashionable or, or weird and um, you know you were saying just then about little sayings and. What, I mean, one of the other things that seems unfashionable in the Bible is turn the other cheek. I'd be like, well, why would I turn the other cheek? You know, I'm, I'm backing down yeah. then. I'm, you know, I'm letting them win. But the other, yeah. the other one is go the second mile. Yeah. Or one of the other ones. It's not, yeah. not the Bible. It's not just those two things. But, um, you know, go, go further than you need to for someone. Yeah. And people will say, oh, yeah, well, why would you do that? You're not getting paid. You're not getting paid for it, are you? And you know, don't get me wrong. But sometimes, when it's an employee-employer relationship, a lot of the time you should be saying, "Well, I should be getting paid for this." And yeah. actually, I, I I've done that recently where I had to work when I should have been on holiday, basically. Yeah. But but there's other situations where you know you're not going to get paid for it, and you shouldn't expect no. to be paid for it. But you should do you should be doing it you should be going the second mile anyway because that's what the bible tells yeah. you to do and i mean i think that's that's quite interesting because it it kind of illustrates something of what this 
having a countercultural value system rooted in Jesus's teaching uh, in the Beatitudes, echoed in the epistles, reflective of uh, the Old Testament, because enemy love was one of his distinctive messages uh, that often some of the other moral codes of the day didn't have. And so when you think about those two incidences, um, if somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. Um, it was a way of standing your ground without retaliating uh, because uh, within the customs of the day, uh, you struck people with uh, one of your hands. Uh, and if they turned the other cheek, you were going to have to strike them with the other hand, which was considered ritually unclean. And so you'd be, one, insulting them, two, exposing them to your uncleanness, and that would be frowned upon. So Jesus is saying, <coughs> don't retaliate, don't offer violence for violence, but don't back down, don't run away. Cause them to have to take an action that would be shameful if they continue. And the thing about walking the extra mile is, is a kind of within the imperialistic situation uh, that prevailed in Palestine at that time, a Roman soldier could demand that somebody helped him carry something for a mile. And uh, But within the honour code of the Roman soldiers, uh, they weren't supposed to ask them to carry it a second mile. And so it would be slightly embarrassing um, to uh, the Roman soldiers if the people offered to go the second mile because it kind of signified, I'm not intimidated by your behaviour um, and uh, it's not damaging me. I'm willing to actually go the second mile if that's what you want. And it's kind of, um, it, it's kind of like you've, you're suffering a microaggression, but you're almost letting it bounce off you and uh, and actually shaming the Roman soldier. He doesn't want you to do the second mile. It's frowned upon within his honour code, with it, you know, and the way they're supposed to carry on. So, but it, it comes back to um, this kind of loving people looking through the circumstance redemptively and saying, what could happen here that was positive? And there's a great deal of evidence to suggest that the early church flourished because they took these countercultural attitudes. You know, the one of the first things that the early church did was ensure that the Greek widows weren't neglected. In saying that they're in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, Paul was taking a radical stance against a nationalistic view of who God wanted to locate himself with. And so there is much in the teaching of the New Testament that basically says, swim in the other direction. Jesus suffered a borderline murder attempt when he cited two foreigners who had had a role in the Old Testament as an example, which upset the nationalistic fervor of the particular congregation he was speaking to. And so when you're looking around you in the pandemic or the, the situation in the UK um, or, or this sort of 
messed up situation that's happening in America over this next two or three weeks until the presidential transition takes place. It, it, it can be easy to say, I'm going to take a side because there's a principle in play here. Um, and we, you know, I, I know many people that I have uh, spent time with or I'm aware of or I'm an acquaintance of who are digging their heels in and saying, we will not be silenced. We will go on parlour and gab and all these places to voice our opinions about how bad this democratic regime is going to be. But the thing that gets me about that is, like, it's Joe Biden. Like, how threatening do you think he is? Like, like, you could almost understand it if it was, I mean, you know, I wouldn't agree, but to... To them, you'd think, oh, you know, if it's if it's like Bernie Sanders or something, um, but but it's it's Joe Biden. Like he's yeah. he's going to yeah. let them have pretty much everything that they yeah. want. He's basically he's basically a left leaning Republican. So uh, you know, if you don't want to get too semantic about it, he's there'll be certain sections of the Republican Party he wouldn't be a million miles away from. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. like you say, he's basically a liberal Republican. He's, you know, he's just a bit more OK about some things than some of them would be. But the bottom line is, in the middle of that situation, families are going to be divided against families, communities against communities. And it would be easy to take a stance and say, you know, I'm done with this. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to do this and this and this and this. But if we're not careful, we burn our bridges. We we don't have a place for potential dialogue or a way back when things have calmed down a little. Um, you know, we 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 always want to be looking and saying, actually, what would Jesus do? Not in that kind of slightly sentimental, you know, uh, way that sometimes people do, but actually hardcore what actually happened in the New Testament and what was the forerunner of that in the Old Testament and what does that say to us today? Classic stories. This is where people have been evacuated from Yugoslavia um, uh, to the UK to get away from murder gangs, basically, and all kinds of stuff. And their encounter, the, the Muslims' encounter with Christianity in Yugoslavia had been deeply negative. They were being murdered by Orthodox people, nominally Orthodox people and nominally Catholic people. So when they land at Luton, the people that are greeting them are members of local churches. And, um, and they treat them with real generosity, real love. You know, they make a really bad situation slightly less bad for these people. And they can hardly believe it because it goes against the flow of what they thought the welcome would be. And up in, I think it was Glasgow, might have been Edinburgh, this pastor whose church had really helped in that respect noticed that an entire family were coming in where the guy had a long beard. She was wearing the thing where you can only see out through the eyes. And so eventually he engaged them in conversation. And, uh, he found a way to sort of diplomatically say, look, I'm not trying to be funny here, but what are you doing here? And they said, we've been treated with dignity, respect. Uh, we've been helped out in the most dire of situations. 
I was just really curious. And so the serve somebody thing in that kind of situation is you could play into prejudice, you could play into outrage, you could play into suspicion, you could play into, um, you know, uh, this is not right and we shouldn't give it breathing space because we're followers of Jesus. Or you could do what Jesus actually did, where one of his most significant encounters was with the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, standing near to her Samaritan equivalent of the Jerusalem temple, um, a woman that there were some ethical concerns about in a culture where men didn't talk to women they didn't know. So it's an astonishing act of mercy, grace, love and compassion that Jesus does there. And he extends it to the rich, the poor, the like, he's friends with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who are like big lads in that culture, you know. But he's also friends with the lowly and the broken and the, the woman that hadn't been able to uh, really, you know, move out of her house for 18 years because of the issue of blood that made her unclean. He, he's always there saying, this person was made in our image, you know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. What can I bring them? of the love of the Father. And it's so easy to serve the master of anger, prejudice, bigotry, and all those kind of things in these kind of situations, as opposed to serving the master of, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. And then later in that chapter, it says, he's not willing that any should perish. And so this love, mercy, and grace is available to everybody, but they won't hear it if we're screaming and yelling and denigrating and, and all of those kind of things. And so we begin to see the serving masters might refer to money or it might refer to personal um, behaviour in the public sphere or it might refer to, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it might refer to... on that, like you know, in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll read out at the end. But, um, uh, you know, it says, "Your kingdom come, your will be done." Not your kingdom and the United Kingdom and the yeah. United States will be done. You know. Yeah. 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 And and you know, His kingdom isn't those kingdoms, and occasionally or sometimes. Their interests might sort of have a um, some kind of alignment, but they're not the same thing. No, no, no. And uh, yeah, I, I, the, I, I think you know. My when I was younger, my mum used to say to me uh, something along the lines of, you know, uh, I'm talking of which. I'll speak to her later. Um, it, you, you end up in a situation where she says something like, um, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And uh, I never knew quite how to interpret that. You know, what, what, what did she actually mean? But there is this thing about where your affection lies and where you invest your time and your energy. 
And so it seems clear in the Bible uh, that if you give a close reading of it, that Jesus is going against the flow of his culture, which was saying one particular group, the Essenes, went off to live in the in sort of desert and out of the way places so they could get away from the the pollution of the world. Jesus didn't seem that worried about the pollution of the world. He he mixed with all kinds of people. He had a reputation for mixing with publicans and sinners. But he was steadfast to the values that his that that had been enshrined in the Trinity. Uh, with respect to that, which you know we find a lot of that in the Old Testament, uh, how we treat people, you know how we how we look after our fields, how we behave in the aftermath of a war, how you know all of these kind of things were were dominant in his mind, and he he loved those that other people wanted to hate. And so you end up in a situation where you say, am I going to live in the light of my indignation or am I going to live in the light of Jesus's attitudes towards those? Um, you know, Jesus could get a bit uptight sometimes, but it was usually with religious people that were acting with pledges, uh, with arrogance uh, towards others not with the ordinary people who were struggling to find their way to live. So, can I mention something else? Yeah, go for it. So in the great scheme of things, how does this actually sit in our value system? And uh, I think if we were to use the, the biblical metaphors, there's another element whereby you need the bread and the water. Um, and uh, the bread, as a metaphor, often seems to refer to Jesus' life. And so the bread that we eat will be uh, the life of Jesus because it will strengthen us, it will nurture us, it will nourish us, it will uh, help us understand a way by which we might live. And then the water uh, is often thought of in similar terms to the Holy Spirit. Um, and the fact that we're in a relationship with God, centred around the life of Jesus and nurtured within us by the presence of God, by the Holy Spirit. And that that is quenching our thirst, refreshing our bodies. Our bodies are a lot made up of water. So this metaphor says, you know, the Holy Spirit will touch every part of who you are, your emotions, your body your words, your actions, your thoughts, your deeds. But you have to you have to eat it and drink it. You know, you have to it's not just a question of sitting and listening to somebody like me saying, I've got an intellectual proposition for you. You need to follow Jesus as the king. Now go and do it. Because that just reduces it to well uh, and we believe that often what really settles in us is that which we have sort of feasted upon. It becomes part of the fabric of who we are and the way that we think. And so some people say, well, you know, I just asked the Lord to show me. And part of me thinks, we've got a great big book here. He also uses this. And uh, that it's not either or, it's, it's both and. But that a lot of the time we live by our values, not by our feelings, although we value our feelings. 
And so how do we internalize this idea of which master are we serving? And the bread thing, I think, comes through the kind of slow but sure systematic eating of the four Gospels and everything that reflects out of them into the Old Testament and further into the New. Because it's when we're getting saturated with the life of Jesus and what he did and what it meant at the time, it begins to form part of our thought patterns. And it's not just, well, he died for my sins, and uh, I hope I'm going to be all right on the day of judgment, and he's going to help me hang on in this terrible world. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, why did he behave that way towards Zacchaeus? I mean, he didn't have to. Zacchaeus was a thief and a, an extorter and, you know, and why don't you start thinking on those things, meditating almost? You know, in Philippians, it says, dwell on that which is pure. So part of the way that we become devoted to one master and wary of the other one is by saturating ourselves in the wisdom of the master that we follow. And, and it's both a gradual process and a suddenly. Suddenly, sometimes you'll have a moment of insight. You'll read something, you'll think about a life situation, you'll think, that's it. That unlocks that for me. I understand that now. Other times, it's just a, like a slow accumulation of knowledge. You know, Ben, you've told uh, people that uh, in the last six months, you've recommitted and reconnected with your faith. But it's also clear in conversation with you that even though you kind of were semi-detached for several years and more, a lot of what you'd kind of been marinated in has not left you. And then you're making your own discoveries now. So sometimes when people hear a message about serving two masters, they can go off into a room and torture themselves. You know, oh, I'm not good enough. Am I fully devoted to Jesus? Am I, I, buy, I buy too many yogurts? You know, has yogurt become my master or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I might be overwhelmed by the spirit of bounty bars because I like those dark chocolate ones, you know. Um, and, and we turn it into introspection again and the guilt that goes with that. Whereas if we are internalising uh, the story that we find in Jesus' life, that begins to change the way that we are. Uh, the Psalms, I think it is, it says, hide the word of God in your heart. And in Isaiah uh, 50, verse 4, I think it is, it says, Give me an instructed tongue, Lord, that I might say the words that sustain the weary. But the verse 4, it says, Help me to get up in the morning and meditate on you, because that's where the instructed tongue will come from. And so it's not some kind of, uh, you know, just summon up your willpower, grit your teeth, go for it. There's this element of, slow but steady discipline and now i have to use the metaphor of sports if you want to be half decent at 800 yards you can't just turn up and run it i mean your natural skills will get you somewhere i once came second in 800 yards and the teacher took me on the side and said i didn't know you had it in you roberts and i thought no nor did i same for me actually similar thing sort of halfway through secondary school and i suddenly really fast but not particularly sporty in any other way and it was a shock 
yeah, yeah. But if I'd wanted to, I could have dug in a bit and, right, okay, I'm going to do 800-yard sprints. I'm going to learn about, you know, which muscles to strengthen for an explosive start and all that kind of stuff. And it's a bit like that in Christian life, you know. Uh, you, you, you enter the kingdom, you become part of God's clan, so to speak, and, you, you know, you're finding your way. Sometimes you stumble along a bit. Sometimes you're like, oh, this is a bit of an adventure. I've, I don't understand half of it. What am I going to do? And the answer to that is have a listening ear for the things that will help you, you know, mature and grow up and, and know good stuff. But also, you know, get curious. I mean, it's as simple as that. Get curious. I think I mentioned this last week, but I read a verse um in song of songs about um the the you know the the female character they're saying uh don't you be looking down on the color of my skin and so i've been doing a uh, you know, clearly she was black ethiopian type situation and so I, I looked that up and i thought and now i've discovered four or five books that look at the role of uh, people of different skin color throughout the bible and I'm thinking this is a treasure trove in the current situation when you're trying to speak out against racism and, and all the other things that go with that, uh, but from a biblical Christian perspective. and uh, and But it's, it's your curiosity that takes you to some of these places. It's your passions. So if you listen to the podcast and thinking, oh, he, he's urging me to be a bit more sort of intentional. Yeah, I am. But don't wind yourself up. Just get there slowly, like you would if you were mm -hmm. training to be, you know, if you're going to be a snooker player at any level of competence, you don't just turn up and sort of bend over the, the thing and billiards for you Americans um, and just try and pop, you know. You'll get that far on natural ability, but what about working about the angles? What makes the ball spin mm -hmm. so that it goes off in one direction and the ball goes in the hole? Yeah. Yeah. The big picture uh, of like who are you serving and what are you serving and how how does that sort of yeah. show itself you know what what is the fruit of that is the good fruit because you're serving the right master or is the bad fruit because you're not yeah. but sometimes we're a bit super supernatural you know so you could sit in a corner and say lord protect me from this virus lord keep it away from me you know and the Lord's looking down and going, look, I'm going to be with you. Well, don't, don't get into a fearful situation here. But that stuff about hands, space, and whatever the other thing is, uh, that's part of my answer. That's common sense wisdom. And, and, and so it is with our lives sometimes, I think, that we're, we're always looking for a slightly mystical answer when sometimes the answer is mystical. It is supernatural it's hard to explain when the african eunuch is driving away from jerusalem in his chariot and this guy turns up the side of the road to help him understand the book of isaiah you know that's that's a supernatural in, intervention a lot of jesus's ministry was about supernatural invention interventions but a lot of his ministry was also about everyday life lived in wisdom and so we need to be the same we can neither be clinical or the other way around where we're all a bit sort of <clears throat> yeah but i want a miracle i want it now uh you know god 
do something supernatural to protect us all this minute. We made this mess and sometimes we've got to use common sense to get out of it. And he'll be with us in the middle of that and he will remind us of truth and he will protect us. But we can't be demanding things from him. It's not how it works. Good. Well, do you want to bring our proceeding to a close, Ben? Uh, yeah. We've uh, generally done that by saying the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll continue to do that um, today. And I'm trying not to uh, get it wrong, basically. So <laughs> miss out a bit or, or uh, um, embellish too much on it. Um, so our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yeah. Your will be done. So that's the mm -hmm. bit that we were talking about. And actually, while we're talking about that, so just the lighting situation might have changed because just knocked the blind along. But um, it was actually in this book, which is by this guy. I'm not going to try and say his name. Well, maybe I should for the podcast people. But it's like Dag Hammarskjöld. And the book's called Markings. It's a translation. I think he was Swedish, basically. But he, um, he was the... He was the top guy at the UN in the, I don't know, 50s and 60s or something. Um, and it was it was in there that, you know, he, he it was basically his diaries, um, but written quite sort of flow, flowery kind of poetic stuff. And in there he'd written on this bit, you know, your kingdom, only your kingdom, one, you know, one kingdom and your will be done on earth yeah. as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.